Oh, I said to my parents, I remember saying, if, if this doesn't work, I'm out, I'm, I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? I'll change careers, I'll do whatever it takes. Something else, I just can't do it anymore. And this is my last ditch attempt. I said, this is it. So when it, when it went pear-shaped, you know, two weeks after we'd opened, my chest just tightened up and, and, it, and it wouldn't go for about a month. The chest was just tightened up. I was a mess. I didn't know what to do, where to go, how to do it. It was, it was very, very hard. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A few episodes ago, we spoke to the mad genius, David Serekis, who opened the restaurant Homer on Homer during the pandemic. But imagine opening just two weeks before the government ordered everyone to close, putting everything you've put so much energy into on indefinite hold. Not one to seek the limelight, Daryl Martin is one of Australia's most underrated chefs. He's also the co-owner and chef of Eastern Mediterranean and Cypriot restaurant Bazari in the Sydney suburb of Marrickville. Daryl, how are you going? Going, going well. Now, Huck, if you had asked me a couple of months ago, probably a very different answer, but now we're on the up, I think. I think we'll be fine. Well, we'll go back and talk about that shortly, but can you just paint a picture of, you know, you've had Bazari for a couple of years now. Can you tell us what the restaurant was like? before you made the changes leading into the pandemic? Uh, the first year and a half, we were, we were going very well. Really, really, probably better than we thought we'd ever go. And um, I guess year on year, the next two years, it dropped 30% each year. And in a lot of ways, the writing was on the wall. We sort of knew something was up. Um, my business partner lost, lost interest very early on. Uh, you know, and I felt I was pushing the whole thing uphill alone in a lot of respects. Um, and then mid last year, the third partner put his hand up and said, guys, I've got some side issues. I need to get out. Um, he said, would you be interested in buying out? Had a good think about it. Meanwhile, in the, in the back, me and Gabby and her cousins are actually looking at a concept much like what we've done now elsewhere um, to get off the ground. Um, we had a chat and then we decided to um, buy out the existing partners um, and take it on. So we shut for two weeks. Made all the changes, renovations, stocked the retail section that we had in, had in place, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, traded for two weeks as a new business, so we lost the fine dining sort of side of things and made it a very casual sort of business where we had sort of, you know, sandwiches, pockets, very Cypriot style, almost takeaway food in a lot of respects. Um, retail section, preserves and pickles and small goods that we were making, all that sort of stuff. And... Um, yeah, two weeks in, it, uh, it fell apart, I guess. People stopped coming. There was a definite sort of drop in trade. We panicked a bit, um, and then we got shut down. <clears throat> After about 12 days, I think, um, you know, I, I sort of jumped up and down and said, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll work around the clock, you know, just to keep money coming in however we could. And my wife sort of knocked me on the head and said, no, settle down. Let's have a think about this. And uh, <laughs> I'd go to bed every day, wake up the next day with no sort of better comprehension of, of how we were going to do it. So I guess we just knuckled down, um, had to let some staff go and all that sort of stuff um, and just push through, I guess, where we could. It sounds like that model that you had created just before the pandemic is the sort of thing that a lot of operators have done in the pandemic to to get through. It was it was a crazy a twist of fate or irony or, or whatever you want to call it, but you know, the, the packaging, the menus, the price point, the, you know, the forecasting and average spends were all where most people had to head. And, and we were, so in a lot of ways, we had a bit of a head start. Um, I don't know how, 
but I guess for the last 18 months, a lot of restaurants were in the same boat and, you know, we're thinking, shit, it's getting harder and harder. What are we going to do? And, and we're the same. I was, I was pushing myself so hard for the last couple of years, you know, trying everything, doing 100-hour weeks back-to-back over and over. And it seemed the worse business got, the harder I had to go. So it was, it was getting very, 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 very hard to sort of keep going. Um, so the changes had to happen. Um, new energy that we put into the place and the new ideas were endless. The ideas and all the, all the things we were speaking about for, you know, 12 months prior we've now put into this business and and every, I guess, aspect of, of, of the direction we've pushed it is, is working, um, which is, got, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very inspiring, do you know what I mean? Um, the retail stuff we're doing, selling, the pastries, the breads uh, we're doing, it, it, it goes from a bakery to a, to a deli, to a takeaway shop, to a dinner restaurant at night and, and every part seems to be moving. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing to see and everyone's chipping in, it's great. With the restaurant, not doing so well in the last year and a half and then the decision to take it on and change it you know how are you feeling when the pandemic hit and you'd put all that money and that energy into the, the rebirth of the restaurant in many ways um how did you feel about the future of it oh i said to my parents i remember saying if, if this doesn't work i'm out i'm, I'm, I'm done you know what i mean I'll, I'll change careers i'll do whatever it takes something else i just can't do it anymore and this is my last ditch attempt i said this is it so when it when it went pear-shaped you know, two weeks after we'd opened, my chest just tightened up and, and, and it wouldn't go for about a month. The chest was just tightened up. I was a mess. I didn't know what to do, where to go, how to do it. It was, it was very, very hard. And um, I think it was the Greek Easter weekend. And again, this was all part of, of, of where we wanted to take the business. We, uh, Greek Easter, we thought, great, bizarre, it'll suit what we're doing, our brand, our vision, everything, and we'll, we'll try and capitalise on it. Even, even in coronavirus, we'll have a go. So we, we put it out there with all our baked stuff and our flowers and turekis and all the, all the sort of ethnic breads and pastries that we do. We put it out there and it, it went gangbusters. It went nuts. We sold, I don't know, one and a half thousand, just one line, the flowers in, in two days. Wow. And that was all out of a takeaway. You know, nobody was sitting in here. It was all, the kids were studying and doing their homeschooling from behind the screens and we're doing these one and a half thousand flowers out the front and it was just incredible. And then the tightening in the chest sort of, started to go do you know what i mean because i could see that we are on the right track and you know we, we we can get there and there's a marker for what we do we've just got to be patient and get through it and the family did as a whole and it was nothing but the family that the two husbands the two wives and the kids going hard my son makes a crap coffee but people <laughs> were more than happy to wait for it because they they could see that we're having a go and the area looked after us it was great uh, he'll be pleased to hear that no doubt uh, what speaking of family and it's you know it's a family-run business and yeah what are, what are the pressures on a young family to to turn a profit with a restaurant um there's a lot of them a lot of pressures um i mean the, the hardest thing in what we do i guess is everything we do is a passion project and i think if you believe in it and you're passionate about it and you push it hard enough um they will come and to, to hold on to that passion and sell it and keep the doors open and, and integrate all those things at the same time is, is the biggest challenge because you don't want to lose your integrity. You don't want to lose your passion. But at the end of the day, you've got to provide for your family. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to pay the rent and everything else that goes along with it. So the pressure is immense. And, and just to see the market in the last, I don't know, five, six weeks has really sort of solidified what we've done and how we're doing it. And you know, I'm, I'm more confident and more energised now that I've been in years. So... Even even in this tough time that we've had, it's it's sort of uh, grounded grounded me and a lot of other people and made us look at the big picture and reality and it's um it's good. 
We'll be fine, I think. Can you tell us a bit about your food? I mean, it's it's bloody delicious, but a lot of people might not uh, know Cypriot cuisine and and your interpretation of it. Can you talk us through some of the dishes and and maybe some of the history of of your cooking? I guess the history came. I mean, I've worked in some fancy restaurants and some you know with some unbelievable chefs, both with and for unbelievable chefs, and um, I think I've got a good grasp for food and flavour and cooking and you know the basics, the fundamentals and. For many years I'd done that and I guess the plan was always to open a business and not until probably five years ago. It turns out the writing was on the wall the whole time. I'd been married for, well now, for almost 20 years. My wife's Cypriot, Lebanese, her father's Lebanese, her mother's Cypriot and it turns out I was exposed to all this culture and food and flavour the whole time but almost took it for granted. So there was a bit of a light bulb moment years back and I thought, hang on, I can fuse this together. We're in Sydney, we're in the melting pot of, of Cypriots and Greeks and Lebanese and, you know, the region of the Eastern Mediterranean. Sydney's a, such a hotspot for that. Maybe I can fuse that region together, you know, respectfully, um, in, into one sort of cuisine and one, one plate of food in, in a lot of cases. And it's worked and the reception's been really good, you know, the whole time. Um, at first, a little harder for the older people because you shouldn't fuse different things, I guess, but they always left happy and impressed, do you know what I mean? And the younger guys, I guess, grasp it a little bit better. And all we've done with the changes now is just to take the, the I guess, maybe not finesse, but pull on more nostalgia, more history um, in the food. Don't try and trick it up too much, just try and do it better. You know, if we make a, a falafel, we want to make the best falafel we can make. If we want to make a, the kubes or the, you know, we make it as, as good as we can. We make a flowner. We don't just make an average flowner and, and you know bulk it out with semolina to cut costs. We make it properly with nothing but cheese, and and people come back because they know it's solid. It's good. So that's how we base everything. Now everything we do, we, we try and do it really well, even if it's simple. Just do it well. And yeah, a lot of time I was trying to be too, I guess, innovative. Um, and in Sydney, as you know, mate, people move. People move around. They get new tastes. They get new habits. So we want to be, I guess. I guess I want Bazaari to be an institution in 10 years where people know they can keep coming back for something that's solid. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's familiar, um, it's nostalgic, and it's delicious, ultimately. Do you know what I mean? And some people might come in for a bowl of Lukum others in the morning at, at 9 a.m. And, you know, at night they'll come in for a whole cleft to them shoulder at night. But it all fuses together out of the one, you know, 60 square metres. But we're tapping into, you know, now a lot of different markets, a lot of different age groups, zero pretentiousness. You know, even the drinks list, we've, we've sort of consolidated the wines. We've gone from 60 to bloody six wow. different wines. And people are so receptive to it. And then they're so receptive to it. We actually sold about 600 bottles of wine when we got shut down. Thank you, Marrickville. That was really helpful. <laughs> and that got us out of a pickle. What do you love about cooking this cuisine? Oh, the history. The history too. Um, you know, um, Mario... Gabby's cousin, his mother will drop off food on a Saturday morning and we'll taste it and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, assess it, I guess. And then can we do this? Can we use this? Can we try this? And we'll take what they inspire us with and, and turn it into something else. And there's just so many layers to what we do. Do you know what I mean? And I mean, now the whole family's involved. My mother-in-law cooks rice every day for the restaurant. Uh, Andrea, Mario's wife, her father helps with all the small goods and the chef d'alliers, the pastoma, the lucanica, the lunza. We just started a... I guess a Lebanese-style bustle last week as well, and they just keep coming. The ideas are thousands of years old, and they can just keep coming. It's almost endless. 
So we've just got to grab them and run with them. And the energy in here now, even though it's a small team, everyone's inspired to get it done and excited by it. And I guess that, that that's number one, mate. To see their, their eyes light up, the old ducks, when the Aussie boy cooks the ethnic food is, is rewarding. It's very nice. You know, in recent years, certainly the last decade, there's been a push for bigger restaurants and multiple locations. Um, and you've worked in some really big restaurants you know, and some award-winning restaurants. What's, what's that transition like for you to go from those big restaurants to sort of back into that smaller scale family-oriented business? Um, even the multi, multi sort of restaurant thing, we even dabbled in last year or the year before or whenever it was and, and, and that was a mess. That was, that was a lot of hard work. Um, and I guess the return on doing something like that isn't always as rewarding as what people might think. Um, and the stresses that come with it, you know, the obligations that come with it, um, especially when I guess my biggest flaw in what I do is I, I, I force myself to be hands-on. In, in it and around it and you know I never sit back I'll always want to get my hands dirty and to try and do that in multi outlets is um I guess it doesn't suit me 100% I'd much prefer to be doing something now and I guess I've learned the hard way how hard it is and how hard it can be if you're so I guess you know entrenched in what you do and, and now where I've, I've pulled things back a lot in, in a lot of ways and now we've almost got four little businesses running out of out of one one um but for whatever reason, it's it's so well integrated, it's almost easier and a lot more rewarding mentally, not necessarily financially, but mentally. And I'm really enjoying it. You know, the less people, the less staff. Um, I mean, the variables that come with people and different people is probably the, the biggest challenge as, sh- as a chef, uh, chef manager, I guess, to deal with the personalities and the clash of personalities in, in bigger spaces is a lot harder. And when you can get a team that's small, a niche little business where everyone gels together and everyone's productive, it's, it's, mate, it's the best thing ever if you can get it. And it's taken me years to find it, but the holy grail's here. You know what I mean? It's, it's really good. You're uh, adored and respected by much of the chefing fraternity, but you don't seek the limelight. How did you become a chef? What what drove you to the industry in the first place? Um, my brother was a manager in a cafe, and I was fourteen. I think I was a, he, uh, thirteen or fourteen, and I, I took up a Saturday and Sunday gig as a kitchen hand at this cafe. And um, I'd go in there for ten hours on a Saturday and ten hours on a Sunday in the in the in the summer months, and football on the winter months, obviously. But you get fifty bucks a day, and the boss or the owner of that cafe, mate, you're very good at this, you know, the knife skills and the washing up and the intensity and the pace or whatever. He loved it. He said, you need to pursue this. You, you're bloody good at this. I thought, well, I'm shit at school, not enjoying it much. Um, I'll, I'll focus on my football or whatever and I'll I'll become an apprentice chef. And then thereafter, I broke my leg real bad on the femur and the growth plate blew out the knees and football was finished. So I guess I pursued the chef thing and did the apprenticeship in, in Brighton La Sands from the Shire. I've gone to Brighton La Sands, little, you know, back then was little Athens, I guess. A lot of Greeks and things and food in the area that I've not seen and met Gabby there actually. And yeah, just kept going hard and then went out to help her father in law um, in a restaurant somewhere out west as a, I think, recently qualified chef. Met Daryl Felstead actually, and he sort of said, mate, you're good at this come with me let's open three weeds and all the rest of it and that's that that i guess exposed me to a i guess a, a, a higher level in food and cuisine and restaurants and service and opened my eyes a lot and didn't look back from there and just kept pursuing and challenging myself i guess from there 
And it's all I know, mate. I've done it since I was 15. I started when I was 15. So it's all I know. And, you know, to get to that point in the last few months where I thought I'm going to chuck it in, this is too hard now, there's a lot to throw away. So, you know, I've got to stick to it and push on. You talk about sort of there's a lot to throw away and, you know, you've got to push on. What, what did you learn in, uh, back in the day before you opened Bazari when you were at restaurants like Key? What did you take away from those sort of experiences? Um, I guess how hard it can be, um, how rewarding it can be, um, the people you meet, the, the flavours, the produce you see. I mean, the produce that I worked with in a, in a restaurant like Key was something you're blessed to see and work with, but often things you'll never see again or work with again. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I don't know how they, they uh, pay their bills, given, given the overheads of a restaurant like that. It, it must be a great challenge. Um, and again, so that's why I'd rather much focus on something small and manageable. And again, it might not be as rewarding as the big, big restaurants, but um, it's something that suits us as a family as well, given where we are now as well. School's close, home's close. It's great, solid. A little earlier, you were talking about the difficulties in trying to work out how to negate the landscape with the pandemic, and you um, referred to you know your chest tightening up. You know, what, what were some of the things you've done in this period to deal with this adversity and and push forward to the other side? Just keep trying, mate. Um, you know, we'd, we'd do we'd pursue different meal packs and dinner packs, and at that at that time, at the very beginning, and we'd just pursue anything. I mean. Over the years, we've come up with ideas and none of them had ever come to fruition. We do, you know, an event here or there or anywhere. But at that point, we had no choice but to pursue every idea full speed as hard as we could and, and almost hope for the best. Some didn't work, some did. But the fact, we, you know, we're trying um, has, has, I think, paid off really well for us. You know what I mean? The, the area has, has noticed that our efforts, do you know what I mean? And they're... I think they appreciate that. They acknowledge that. Mate, we'd go for six, eight hours sitting out the front, scratching our heads with not a car driving past in in the entire day, not one person walking, but we'd stay here, we'd stay open, and we might do two coffees a day. And and that was mind-boggling to think, what are we going to do? How do we do this? But we stuck to it, mate. We sat out the front every day, making two coffees a day, a couple orders at night, um, just waiting for it, waiting for the storm to pass, and I think it's passing. So I'm glad we did that, and we we didn't just throw in the towel and, and you know and, and throw our hands up. We actually committed to it, and we all did. You know, Gabby and, and Andrew and Mario have, um, in a lot of cases, put their own careers on hold to, to, to keep keep our doors open. And without that, mate, we would have chucked the towel in six months ago. Do you know what I mean? We would have we would have just given up. No can't do it and and the way you know we've all pulled together is something i've never seen before it's 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 so inspiring and you know another incentive for me to keep going because they deserve it i deserve it the kids deserve it and it's good it's um it was bad it was was fucking scary but um yeah we're on the right track what are some of your favorite customer stories during that period where you were trying to build a business again through the pandemic well, there's a funny fellow named Bill, and he'd come in every single day we were open. And it, mate, it might have only been for a coffee, it might have only been for a sandwich, but every single day he'd do it. Um, at night, we deliver to the same house three nights a week. There's, there's literally 50 people that are on our, on our sort of VIP list in the immediate area that are, that are here in some regard multiple times a week. And these are people that were, I guess, you know, coming you know, three times a year 
before. Now they're coming three times a week. And, and again, it might be for a coffee. It might be for a jar of olives from the, from the deli. It might be for a sandwich in the day. And it might be for a, a delivery at night with, a, with a, you know, a barbecue pack or something. You know, it's so small, but to think the consistency and the loyalty is there is, is uh, very rewarding. And um, I mean, all these little $2, I sell a bloody marshmallow for $2. If we sell 50 a week, I'm, I'm wrapped about that. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of money, but it, it all adds up. And if we can offer everybody something and they all appreciate it, mate, we'll, we'll keep doing that. So, yeah, the regulars, mate, Marrickville's great. Marrickville's really good. So a little earlier you told us about that you you know, needed to change the model of the restaurant. Um, how do you see the Sydney dining landscape at the moment? You know, irrelevant of the pandemic, but how do you, how do you see the, the food service sector and moving forward? Well, from, from our angle, uh, I, I was just getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, you know, month to month. We'd have to chop something else. We'd have to cut somewhere else just to keep the head above water in a lot of cases we were often making nothing but to keep the head above water you've got to cut something else do you know what i mean so we were cutting everywhere we could and the only place left to cut was for me to cover more work just to keep us going and you know that's from where i sit i don't know how other businesses do it and i do know the struggles are real for for many um and they're all getting squeezed they're all getting squeezed and i I don't know if you know in truth we probably need a blanket rule that ups ups everyone's menu prices accordingly um, you know, to you got to think that the prices of food have increased how much over the years? Many prices seem to stay the same, only because of public perception. They don't care. They don't need to understand. They don't want to understand. They just want, you know, what they expect, and their expectations need to change. And I just don't know how we do that. Um, you know, on staff as well. You know, you try and produce a product, but you need consistency in your clientele to produce that, because there's just too many repercussions otherwise. Um, Hence, hence the reason for our change and, you know, our overheads have dropped dramatically. And even if it means changing, you know, the, the napkins in the bathroom to a, hand, to a paper towel dispenser, in reality, people don't mind. Do you know what I mean? Because we've changed the perception of the business from the start. So they're going to wear those, those, I guess, standard drops. But at the same time, the food's as delicious, if not more, than it ever was. So, you know, it's a, it's a long process and a lengthy process. I just, for the, for the restaurant guys in the, in the higher end... Um, you know, they're just going to have to keep squeezing, I guess. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the need for sort of real food and a more casual offering coming out of the pandemic. How do you see things? Do you think that's something that we're going to see more of and less of that sort of higher-end dining? Um, I hope not, to be honest. Um, I hope not at all. You know, there's a market for everything, without question. There's a market for everything. And, you know, some laugh at some things and not others, but the reality of it is people want a schnitzel and they also want... Uh, truffles and caviar in, in a high-end restaurant um, and the population th- surely there's enough people to facilitate all of it do you know what I mean um, I just I just don't know how they're um, you know I hope they all I hope they all keep traveling well um, and I'd say there will be drops um, people I guess they what they want to spend and what they what they get they're expecting more prices going up so you know the penny will drop I just Hope it doesn't. Victoria's having its struggles at the moment with a spike in cases. If that was to happen in Sydney, what sort of impact do you think that would have? Well, this is the thing. We, we're holding off with staff. We've hired an extra one on the floor. Um, the kitchens remain much the same through the whole time. And, you know, we're on the verge now where 
we will have to rehire. You know what I mean? We will have to employ again. And if that happens again, I, j- I just I don't know how the staff and you know workers out there can deal with it. Um, and I don't know. In, in Melbourne last week, they all stocked their fridges and wrote their rosters, and you know what I mean. And they'll shut down days out. Mm. You know that that that's potential loss of a lot, let alone the outlay for the goods. But the potential loss is is incredible. And again, I don't know how they wear that. So there'll be drops down there with restaurants and you know places as well. And if it were to happen here, you know we we, we do need the businesses to open up again. But at the same time, how do we time that? We do that too soon. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna get worse than it was the first time. So it's, we're still on eggshells, to be honest. Um, in in every respect, won't be good. You launched a new style of offering just before the pandemic. But has this experience made you rethink that moving forward? Uh, no, I'm, I'm guess I'm I'm very comfortable with what we've done. Um, I definitely think it, it was the right move and evidently at the right time. Um, and again, I was very tired doing what we were doing. Do you know what I mean? So, um, no, definitely not rethink what we've done at all. I think I think we got lucky, to be honest. Very lucky. But again, keep pushing, keep focused. Product is number one. Um, and I guess people appreciate the family-run business and it truly is. It's, it's very nice. How about for you personally? Have you, earlier you said, you know, that you'd contemplate leaving the industry for good, but now that you've sort of pushed through the pandemic and you've got a model that you're pretty comfortable with, how's the experience been for you and has it changed you? Yeah, in a big way, in a big way. It's brought me down a lot. Um, I, I guess now I can just focus on this and, and the simplicity of it is far more than it was so it's not as consuming mentally as it was um you know uh on the surface it looks probably a lot more complex than it was but it's not it's it's set up you know everything's integrated every layer of the business now is integrated you know with the other other side of the of the business and it, it all melds together really really well um and it's manageable and i see you know fingers crossed the business does grow back to work, you know, bigger than it ever was. And I'm not forced to keep working the way I have been. And there'll be a balance between family, work, life, and all of those things. And I guess if I can attain that, then we can look at other opportunities and then we can look at doing something else and moving forward from there. But I just need to sort of sit here, stabilise where it's at, make it the most consistent little business we can, and then look at things moving forward. But at the moment, I'm, I'm comfortable and you know, I think, I think it's in a good place and Marrickville is such a good area and people, I guess, are more receptive now than they have been. So that, that in itself is, is a reward enough. Do you know what I mean? It's good. Do you miss any elements of that sort of finer dining style that you had previously at all? Do you know what? A lot of people actually said to me because, I mean, we've gone from doing, you know, regional dinners that were so multi-layered and complex and, and, and things like that, you know, you'd be preparing three days to serve 50 people and there'd be 10 courses and all the rest of it. And a lot of people, you know, spoke to me and my wife and said, is Daryl going to be all right? Is he going to be all right doing this, these changes? So I've gone from doing that to making, you know, food truck style sandwiches from Cyprus in the restaurant. You know what I mean? So it's, it's complete, somehow it's in the same spectrum. It's the same palette. It's the same region. But it's just come down so far in that regard, and, and people were concerned that I wouldn't be able to, um, whether whether it's an you know an ego thing or a pride thing or whatever. But they were concerned I wouldn't be able to deal with that that drop. 
Um, and I, just quietly, I was a little bit too. Um, I had faith in the changes, a lot of faith in the changes, but you know, I was quietly concerned that it would bother me. And it turns out it doesn't at all. I've got just as much pride now, probably more than, I, than I've had in years and, and passion for it. And you know, you get, you get as many compliments on a sandwich as we were for that multi-layered complex dinner. The compliments are, are equal, do you know what I mean? The, the appreciation is equal. So, you know, in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, it feels like we're giving people what they want anyway. Do you know what I mean? Do you think that they've uh, understood a greater appreciation of food from restaurants and cafes after this experience? I hope so. I really do. I really do. I mean, somehow everyone was affected by this. You know, every business, every angle. There was a couple of winners, but majority losers. Do you know what I mean? And I hope they can appreciate, you know, what restaurants have had to deal with and have to face and... And, and again, how they're going to get out of it. And it's good to see people out on the street. It's good to see businesses busy. Um, and people do want to eat out. They do want to drink. They do want to, they do, do, want to do all those things. And it's, it's really inspiring to see that. And I just hope it stays there. Do you know what I mean? I hope there's not a wave now that it drops off and everyone goes, shit, we spent too much. We're in a pickle. And it stops again. So I just hope everyone keeps eating out. Why do you love, it, love eating out? Oh, it's my uh, reward, I guess. I don't eat out a lot, to be honest. I do a sneaky pork roll here and there. Um, but as far as eating out goes, um, it's the best. It's the best. To be on the other side of it, to not critique it, just enjoy it for what it is. We're going to Stambouli tomorrow night. That's been a long time coming. Um, I really, really enjoy it because I know what they put in. I know how much they care. And if it's a restaurant that doesn't care, chances are I won't go there. So... It's, it's, you know, that, that's a reward as well, just eating out, appreciating what's gone into it, the hours that are into it. It's, it's probably the best thing. I don't have many hobbies, but that's, that's one of them, just not enough. So it'll be good when it all reopens and everyone can start supporting, you know, again, which, which they have been in the pandemic. A lot of, you know, a lot of chefs and restaurateurs have come through here in the last two months, more than they ever have. And, it's a beautiful thing that they, they can support each other and we can support each other. And that's probably been the, one of the good things to come out of all of this, the way we're all supporting as best we can, do you know what I mean? They don't have to spend a lot, but the fact they're even here is fantastic. It's um, very, very uh, inspiring. So now it's time to reward the people who've come and looked after us. We want to get out and support them as, as soon as we can. What's made you proud during this pandemic? The family, the kids. You know, the, the wife and kids and, you know, Mario's side as well, what they've done. Mate, the kids were sitting behind them. We've got these barriers out the front of the restaurant. We've, we've literally put them, I guess, one third into the restaurant and sat the kids behind there every day for the homeschooling for the last three months. Wow. And and for them, to do, they were milking the Wi-Fi. That was a bit of a pain. But <laughs> the, the fact that they, in, in, in the grand grand picture, they, they dealt with that so well for kids to just somehow understand it and comprehend the layers that goes into running a restaurant and then deal with it without too much of a too much of a huff it was it was incredible you know my wife full-time job mario and andrew are both full-time jobs but they they somehow got here a lot and did more than i ever expected and the, even the kids the way they were chipping in they were doing everything you'd expect of a staff member you know they'd put a shirt on they'd sit behind the till that as i said they try to make coffees they know how to use the point of sale better than i do and they're bloody kids, so for them to do all that, it's been, it's been incredible, absolutely. 
actually one of the boys, Anasta Mario's son and Andrea's son, he's been making the tum for us. We've shown him how to make tum. Now he sits at the back and makes tum for us. Wow. <laughs> he's 13. It's the best. <laughs> that takes a bit of elbow grease to make that. Mate, and do you know how many chefs can't do it? They just mess it up. And then to see, you show this 13-year-old how to do it and he kills it every time. It's amazing. Well, how are you feeling about moving forward? Um, what's what's the, the next year look like for Bazari um, if all things go to plan with the removal of sh- social distancing and the opening up of society properly? We're, we're really optimistic. We are. We're, we're optimistic. We've got, you know, wedding inquiries already for 50 and under and, and things like this coming in. Um, we did probably 100 people yesterday for lunch applying social distancing obviously but over the lunch we did 100 people and we haven't done that in two and a half years wow so it's it's incredibly you know confident confidence boosting um and as i said mate we're just going to focus on doing doing a quality product thing be it simple no problem but do it well do the simple things well and 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 in this area i guess it's what people want so we'll stick to it We'll, we'll keep sort of pursuing, as I mentioned, the different angles and, you know, almost endless potential in, in dishes and food and breads and pastries we can, we can look at. And we'll just keep evolving with that. And, you know, by the end of it, we might have a database of 500 different sweets and breads and pastries that we can tap into over, over the future. Do you know what I mean? And, to have a, and same would apply for the, for the savoury stuff. The, the opportunities are endless. So we'll just keep pursuing, keep pushing. Um, and again, the support we have within is, um, is, is what's going to keep us evolving. Well, mate, you've got a pretty special community around you in Marrickville. It's a, it's a lovely place. Uh, thanks for catching up with us today. Please keep in touch and let us know how the future goes with Bazari. Talk soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Huck. All the best. See you, mate. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.